Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, and whether you call Collective your church home or you are just checking us out, we hope you are encouraged and inspired to take the next step in your journey toward the grace and truth of Jesus. For more information about Collective, you can visit us online at mycollective.church or follow us on social media at mycollectivechurch. Now, let's get into today's message. Today we're starting a brand new sermon series called Ordinary People, which is all about the impact of people who are just like you and me. And each week we're going to learn about someone from the Bible that you might not have ever heard of before. Someone who is behind the scenes. Someone who's an unknown in the big picture of things. Someone who often gets overlooked, but someone whose impact is still felt today. But before we start, we know you have a lot of questions about Collective's next steps and how the phased opening of Maryland impacts us. Ultimately, you all want to know when we will be back together again. This week, we posted a a video on Facebook and Vimeo with our current plan. And if you didn't get a chance to check it out, please take a few minutes so that you can be in the loop when it comes to our next steps. And over the next few weeks, we'll have more updates and hopefully new things to look forward to. And so if you don't follow us on Facebook, scroll up to the top and hit like, or you can head to www.mycollective.church online and scroll to the bottom of that webpage because you'll see more about our plan as of right now. So check it out and make sure to stay in the loop. Alexander Graham Bell and Thomas Edison, two of the most important inventors of our time, Without me sharing any additional details, you should already know about these two men. Bell invented the telephone. He co-founded AT&T, which I'm not quite sure he'd be proud of at this point. He also had 29 additional patents that have led to much of the technology that we use today. Edison invented the light bulb, along with a million other things, including the first motion picture camera and rechargeable batteries. Both are on the list of the 100 most influential inventors of all time. Both have had books written about them. They have movies about their life. But what if I told you that both of these men's most famous invention had something in common, or rather someone in common? Without the work of Lewis Howard Lattimore, neither inventor would have the fame they have today. Latimer was born the son of freed slaves in Massachusetts in 1848. At the age of 17, he began working as an office boy with the patent law firm Crosby, Halsod, and Gould for $3 a week. While running errands and supporting the draftsman, Latimer taught himself how to use a set square, a ruler, and other drawing tools. He actually became so good at sketching patent drawings that Latimer was promoted to the position of head draftsman in 1872. In 1876, the self-taught draftsman was hired by Alexander Graham Bell to draft the necessary drawings required to receive a patent for Bell's telephone. This is the rendering of his drawing. And while Bell invented the telephone, it was with the help of Latimer that he received the patent. If you look closely, you'll see that his name isn't even on the drawing. Just a few years later, in 1879, Latimer moved to Connecticut and was hired by, you guessed it, Thomas Edison. And while working for Edison, Latimer, along with Joseph Nichols, advanced the light bulb by inventing one that used a carbon filament. So instead of Edison's original product, which used a paper filament and would burn out quickly, Latimer's version would last for weeks at a time. 
This allowed for the mass production of light bulbs, which made them more affordable, which led to people being able to have electric lighting in their businesses and their homes. Latimer is unreal. If you weren't impressed by his work with the telephone or light bulbs, he also invented an early version of air conditioning. But there are no movies about him. There are no books about him. He isn't listed as one of the most 100 influential inventors of all time. He isn't famous. In fact, most of you have never heard his name before. I know that's true for me. And I was just lucky enough to stumble across his story while doing research for this series. He was just an ordinary person, but he had a huge impact on this world. When we think about the most famous people in the Bible, we often know the big names, right? Even if you've never been to church before or you walked away from church a long time ago, it's likely that you still know the who's who of God following. Noah, Moses, David, Peter, Paul, Mary, even James and John, although you might not actually know which John you're referencing because there are just so many of them in the Bible. But these are the people who have cities named after them. We name our children after them. There are religious holidays commemorating their faith. Some of you grew up wearing their images around your neck or having pictures of them in your home. And while the stories of their faith are admirable and encouraging, and we should strive to be more like them, sometimes they can be a bit intimidating because you read stories about them in the Bible and you think, I can't build a giant ark like Noah. I can't rescue an entire people group from slavery and split the Red Sea like Moses. I can't slay a giant like David. I can't give birth to the son of God like Mary. I can't walk on water like Peter. I can't write the majority of the New Testament like Paul. I can't do these incredible acts of faith. I'm not like them. I am just an ordinary person. But the cool thing about the Bible is that it's also full of ordinary people who change the world. There are over 1,200 people mentioned in the Bible, and each one of them played an important part in the history of Christianity and the church as we know it. And today, we're talking about my absolute favorite ordinary person in the Bible, Ananias. Now, weirdly enough, in the Bible, there are three different men named Ananias that we read about all in the book of Acts. Apparently, during that time, it was a pretty popular name. But the Ananias that we're learning about today is also nicknamed Ananias of Damascus. And without Ananias, the Apostle Paul's life would have been completely different. Now, everybody knows Paul, right? Church people, non-church people. Some of you are named after Paul. There are 1.4 million people named Paul in the U.S. today. But I'm pretty sure none of you are named after Ananias because there are only 450 people named Ananias in the U.S., Cities are named after Paul. There's 17 cities in the world simply named Paul. There are 28 cities named St. Paul. I couldn't find one city in the entire world called Ananias. I did find a street in North Carolina that was called Ananias Dare Street, but that was actually named after the father of the first child born in America. Right? But you get the point. Everybody knows Paul, but what about Ananias. Because without Ananias and his faith and trust in Jesus, Paul's story would have been very different. So here's the context of the story we're talking about today. Paul, who was originally called Saul, started off as an enemy of the church and Christianity. His goal was to find and kill Christians 
and he was very good at it. And that's where we pick up the story today in Acts 9. This is what it says in Acts 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Now, this is important because it shows just how much he hated the followers of Jesus, right? It wasn't a secret thought in the depths of his mind. It was public hatred that drove his words and his actions. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. Now, whenever you're reading the Bible, and specifically when you're reading in the book of Acts and you see the phrase, the way, that's what Christianity was called during that time. Before there was Christianity, before uh, there was church the way it is, it was called the way. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And so this is Paul's pre-Jesus life. He goes to the court and he asks for permission to enter churches and homes so that he can arrest people who follow Jesus and eventually kill them. Right? He's a bad dude. And the courts decide that it's okay. Like they give him permission to head to Damascus to kill Christians. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, imagine this happening to you, right? You're on your way to do anything, good, bad, whatever. You're on your way to do anything and suddenly a light shines all around you and you hear a voice from heaven. Now, it doesn't say this, but I'm going to guess that he probably peed his pants. He was that scared. He responds, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Right? This is what we call a come to Jesus meeting. Only this is literal, right? Jesus calls out to Saul. He calls him by name, right? And it's really important to know that Jesus isn't living at this point, right? He had already died and resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven. So Jesus isn't in the flesh interacting with Paul. This is Jesus from heaven doing so, which is probably why Paul listened to and obeyed his commands. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind so his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there for three days and did not eat or drink. And this is where Ananias steps into the story. As Paul is in Damascus awaiting orders from Jesus, Jesus taps Ananias as the man to go and help Paul. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Now, we don't know a lot about Ananias. In fact, we don't have any context before this. We don't know when he started following Jesus. We don't know if he led a church. We don't know if he was a pastor. All we know is that he is a follower of Jesus and apparently that Jesus trusts him. But that's it. He's just an ordinary guy. So he responds to Jesus the way that any of us would when we were asked to do something we're unsure of. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I have heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Right? Ananias asks Jesus, 
Are you sure you want me to do this? Like, have you thought this through? Are you aware that I could walk into his house and he could kill me? Jesus, do you really want me to do this? So here's the first thing I want us to learn from the story of Ananias. Jesus is always going to challenge you to grow in your faith. Right? Jesus is always going to challenge you to grow in your faith. If Jesus isn't asking you to do something that makes you a little afraid, that makes you feel uncomfortable, you probably aren't listening to him. Challenging us to grow and take next steps is in the DNA of God. Faith is about next steps. Right? There will never be a time where you can sit back and think, I've made it. Like my faith is complete. There's nothing else that Jesus is asking me to do. There will always be a next step, a way for you to grow. And honestly, a way for you to help other people grow. But you have to own your own growth. And this is a side note in the story, but I do want to talk about this for a second. It is so human to want to push back on God when he asks you to do something outside of your comfort zone, right? When he asks you to do something that scares you or intimidates you. And I think Ananias' response in this moment is completely natural, right? He does what so many of us do. He takes a step back and he asks God, are you sure? Right? But it's important to note that God doesn't chastise him for pausing. He doesn't punish Ananias for having a brief moment of doubt and fear. He simply continues and tells Ananias to trust him. But the Lord said, Go for, Saul, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. But he tells Ananias, I know what I'm doing. Like, just trust me. Like, just go take care of your part and I'll do the rest. My older daughter, Elise, is a very cautious kid. And last summer we were playing at the pool and uh, there's some older kids there who were jumping in the pool and climbing back out and jumping back in. And I could tell that she wanted to give it a shot, but was nervous. And so I picked her up and I put her on the edge of the pool and I stood a few feet away with my arms out and I just told her to jump, but she didn't. You know, she looked over the edge. Uh, she looked at the other kids. She looked at the water. And then she started to tell me all the reasons why she wasn't sure if she's ready to jump. What if I go under the water? What if the water goes in my nose? What if I forget to swim? What if you don't catch me? What if? But the thing is, I wasn't asking Elise to swim. I wasn't asking Elise to do it alone. I was just asking Elise to jump because I was going to take care of the rest. In the book, Crash the Chatterbox, Stephen Furtick writes that fear most often comes to us disguised as the two-word question, what if? Right? And this question creates a black hole that consumes our peace of mind. It reveals our fears and leads us to inaction. And we do this. Elise was doing this. Ananias does this. Ananias has fears. Ananias has doubts. And God tells him, you just head to Damascus and I will take care of the rest. Just trust me. So Ananias went and found Saul. Now imagine knocking on the door of the most feared person in the region at that time. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like fails, scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Ananias gets to do the work of Jesus. Right? He gets to baptize Paul. Ananias. 
Just some dude, not a hero in the Bible, not really even a leader in the church, just an ordinary person. And all it took was Ananias choosing to trust Jesus and not let fear win out. So here's the second thing I want you to take away today. You cannot let fear stop you from doing what God is calling you to do. Let me say that again. You cannot let fear stop you from doing what God is calling you to do. Right? Even though Ananias was afraid, even though he didn't fully understand what God was doing, even though it was outside of his comfort zone, even though it wasn't something Ananias actually wanted to do, he trusted Jesus. Right? He didn't let fear get in the way. And because of that, he gets to baptize the most infamous enemy of Jesus and the church during that time. He gets to play a part in the salvation of Paul. And Paul goes on to plant churches all over the known world. Many scholars believe that he helped plant over 40 churches. Right? He went on to write at least 13 books in the New Testament. And the truth is, Paul is the reason why people like you and me have a chance to experience the grace and truth of Jesus. And that's not an exaggeration. But without Ananias, without him trusting Jesus, without him putting aside his fear, Paul doesn't get to do what he got to do. You cannot let fear stop you from doing what God is calling you to do, pushing you to do, nudging you to do, challenging you to do. Right? And you might not fully understand the why behind it, but you don't have to be afraid because God's with you. He has your best interest at heart. God loves you. Check out what God says in Habakkuk 1.5. He says, look around at the nations. Look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. God's working. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Deuteronomy 31, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. No matter what you're afraid of, God's with you. He's moving ahead of you. So the question is, what is fear stopping you from doing? Right, think about it. God's pushing you to do something. God's nudging you. There's a next step that you need to take, and you know it. Like, I don't have to say this, and I don't have to remind you of this. You don't have to read it on the screen for you to know that God is asking you to do something right now. Right? There's this thing in the back of your mind and you can feel God encouraging you to do it, but you're too afraid. Like you're pushing back on God and you're saying, are you sure about this? Have you thought this through? What if? What if it doesn't work? What if it does work? What if I have to change? What if this makes me feel uncomfortable? And Jesus is simply telling you to trust him. Just jump. For some of you, that next step is baptism. You know that God is telling you to do that, but you're afraid. You're afraid of what your parents will think because they had you sprinkled as a baby. And even though you know that your faith is your own and the decision to follow Jesus is your own, you'd rather avoid any tension with your parents than trust God. Some of you are afraid because you have too much junk in your life right now. There's too much brokenness that you feel like you need to get rid of. Even though you know that you don't have to be perfect to follow Jesus. Since the start of Collective, 75 people have trusted God and taken that next step of baptism. But there have also been 45 people who have checked off that box and then allowed fear to stop them from actually taking that next step. 
Don't let fear stop you from taking that next step. For some of you, your next step is joining one of our collectives that are currently online, but you're afraid because you don't know anyone, right? You're afraid you'll join a group and people will actually want to get to know you. And that means you're gonna have to share some of your story and you aren't sure you're ready for that. Don't let fear stop you from taking that next step. Maybe your next step is finally trusting God with your finances. Instead of asking what if, what if that means we can't go out as much? What if I give and it doesn't actually make a difference? What if my job changes and it impacts my finances? Do not let fear stop you from taking that next step. Maybe you should start praying or reading your Bible or engaging your neighbors in conversation or joining the team at Collective or inviting someone to check out Collective online. Either way, God is asking you to take a next step and you can't let fear get in the way. No matter what God is asking you to do, you can trust him. He is with you. He will not abandon you. He wants what is best for you. Now, that doesn't mean it won't make you nervous. It doesn't actually mean it will be easy. It just means that if you function out of a place of trust in Jesus and not the fear of what if, God will do things in your life that you never imagined. Because no matter who you are like, the Apostle Paul or Ananias, your faith can make a difference. And who knows, maybe you'll get the chance to make an impact on someone else's life and they will end up changing the world forever. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that the Bible is full of ordinary people. God, people that we relate to, people that are just like us. But God, these ordinary people who just have a few lines in the Bible, a few, few parts of a story, God, their faith and their trust in you changed the world. God, we're thankful that Ananias wasn't too afraid to go see Paul. God, that he wasn't too afraid to baptize him. God, he wasn't too afraid to trust you and head to Damascus. God, every single one of us that's listening right now, whether we follow Jesus or we're not really sure about you or trying to check this whole thing out, God, you're nudging us to something. God, you're calling us to take a next step. You're calling us to move forward in our faith. God, and for some of us, it's, it's the spiritual disciplines of, in our own life. It's reading our Bible or praying more, or trusting you with, with giving or joining a group. God, for a lot of us, though, it's about other people. It's about inviting other people and praying for other people. It's about creating space for other people to turn their life around. God, it's about giving people the opportunity to experience you, to bump into you and have their life changed forever. So God, I pray that we can be like Ananias. God, I pray that you can trust us. God, I pray that you can ask us to do things that are uncomfortable or make us scared or get us to a place where we're a little bit nervous. But God, ultimately, we trust you enough to follow through and we get to see just how good you are and just what you can do when we have a little bit of faith and a little bit of trust and a little bit of obedience. God, push us to that next step this week. God, help us be a church um, that celebrates those next steps. God, help us be a church where everybody listening knows uh, that we're not alone in this. Um, and God, as a community, we can celebrate and be joyful about what God is doing and what you're doing in all of our lives today. God, help us be more like Ananias. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.